Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Always a great way to wrap up my marathon Saturday because I get educated and we also really service the public with good information, good holistic natural medicine information. It's Get Well Naturally from the Weiner Wellness Center. And this is the topic that sadly will affect all of us or someone that we know in our lifetimes. That's how popular it is, sad to say, but it's strokes. And there's a lot of things you can do when it comes to that topic. So we're going to get to it right now. And welcome back to the program, the good doctor, Dr. Joseph Honeyman. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Rob, and once more, a pleasure to be here with you. Talk about strokes and what we can do to prevent them naturally, and even after the fact, maybe. Okay, so we all know that stroke is one of the most serious of all health problems, and half of all stroke sufferers are left disabled, with many undergoing years of rehabilitation. It is the leading cause of long-term disability in the United States, and it's actually the second leading cause of death in the world. I did not know that, but it is. It's the second leading cause of death in the world. Now, my father had a stroke in his early 60s, and he never fully recovered. Long term, it affected his speech and his memory. About 12 years ago, I discovered my next door neighbor dead in her bathroom after having a stroke. She was only in her mid-50s. Now, on another occasion, I was at Omega Institute, which is a center for holistic studies at Rhinebeck, New York. I was there attending a class on integrative medicine. And one evening, while I was at the cafe, sitting outside, enjoying, I believe, a cup of tea, with an emergency medical doctor and an emergency medical technician, while we were enjoying the night, the three of us heard someone yelling for help. So we headed towards the sound and wound up in the cabins where the instructor stayed. It turns out that a shamanic medicine instructor was having a stroke and ironically was a friend and a teacher of the emergency medical doctor that I was with. Now the first person on the scene was David Carradine of Kung Fu fame as well as Kill Bill, a film directed by Quentin Tarantino. He was at Omega Institute to teach a Tai Chi class and was staying at the cabin next door. The ER doctor quickly spun into action to help his friend, the shaman, who was having a stroke. And there was little that I could do, so I chatted with David Carradine. He was very friendly, asked me to join him at the cafe for a late night snack. However, I was asked to take the ER doctor to the hospital so that he could be with his friends who was having the stroke. We were at the hospital for many hours. And the good news is because he was quickly treated, he lived, and was expected to make a full recovery. However, I missed my chance to spend some quality time with David Carradine, and the next day, I was totally exhausted. So, I've seen my share of stroke. What is a stroke? Well, there's two main types. One is an ischemic stroke, and the other 
is a hemorrhagic stroke. An ischemic stroke is also known as a cerebral infarction and is by far the most common responsible for 80 to 90 percent of all strokes. It occurs when blood supply to the brain is interrupted due to the presence of plaque buildup or more commonly due to a blood clot. Because blood flow to the brain stops, brain cells no longer receive the oxygen and nutrition they need to survive and so they die. Now there's two common versions of an ischemic stroke. One is when a blood clot forms in one of the arteries directly supplying the brain. The clot passes through the bloodstream and it becomes lodged, which blocks the blood flow. And this is called a thrombotic stroke. And remember, this is a type of ischemic stroke. The other is when a blood clot or debris forms in another part of the body, often the heart or arteries in the upper chest or neck, and then moves through the bloodstream to the brain. The clot gets stuck in the brain's arteries where it stops the flow of blood, and of course that causes a stroke. This type of ischemic stroke is called an embolic, embolic stroke. An embolic stroke may be the result of a heart condition such as atrial fibrillation, which is a very common type of irregular heartbeat that causes blood clots to develop in the heart. These clots may dislodge and travel through the bloodstream and into the brain. So for those of you who have atrial fibrillation, you are at high risk for a stroke. The second type of stroke, we just did ischemic stroke with the two different versions, the embolic and the thrombotic. The second type of stroke is called a hemorrhagic stroke, and it's when a blood vessel in the brain bursts. And now that's going to cause bleeding in the brain and uh, prevent oxygen and nutrients and, uh, of course, uh, death or uh, disability. Now, it accounts for the other 10 to 20% of the strokes. So figure around 10 to 15% for the hemorrhagic stroke, which is when a blood vessel bursts, uh, and about uh, 85 to 90% uh, for an ischemic stroke. Now, getting back to the hemorrhagic stroke, the most common cause of intracranial bleeding is head injury. And that often occurs from motor vehicle accident or bicycle accidents, falls, assaults, and sports injuries. Bottom line, either type, the rupture or the blockage, damage occurs because this prevents blood and oxygen from reaching the brain's tissue. And remember, stroke is the leading cause of serious long-term disability in the United States. So what kind of tests are used to diagnose stroke? That will include an MRI and a CT scan. Actually, the type of MRI is actually called an MRA because it specifically looks at the arteries. The MRI helps to see if brain tissue or brain cells have been damaged. A CT scan will provide a detailed and clear picture of your brain that shows any bleeding or damage to the brain. And finally, another test called a carotid ultrasound test 
can be used to show fatty deposits, otherwise known as plaque, in your carotid arteries, which supply blood to your brain, and whether your carotid arteries have been narrowed or blocked. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll come back. We're talking strokes, all different aspects of that topic to be discussed between now and 2 o'clock with Dr. Joseph Honeyman. If you'd like to make an appointment with him at 412-922-9355, you can do that right now, 922-WELL. Please pick up the phone. They're there right now, or you can go to drwiner.com. It's time to get well naturally with natural health experts, Dr. Joseph Honigman, Dr. Gideon Orbach, and Jeffrey Nisnik. Dr. Honigman is here talking strokes, Doc. Thanks, Rob. So we, we just discussed uh, how you can identify uh, blockages in, in your brain through the use of a CT scan or an MRI, and also how to detect a possible blockage or clot in your carotid artery through an ultrasound, but how can we recognize someone is having a stroke? Well, because stroke symptoms come on suddenly without warning, the National Stroke Association suggests we use the term FAST to help you identify common stroke symptoms. Actually, the the whole saying is ACT FAST. And F stands for face, A stands for arm, S stands for speech, and T stands for time. So F, if you notice a droop or nervous smile or an uneven smile on a person's face, this is a warning sign. So you look to their face. Is it starting to droop? That could be a problem. A is for arms. Arm numbness and weakness is a warning sign. Ask the person to raise their arms. If they start to raise their arms and it drops, that could be a signal. What about speech? Ask the person to repeat something. Even the alphabet, I would think, would work. Slurred speech can indicate the person is having a stroke. And T is for time. If someone is experiencing symptoms, you have to act fast. So, remember that acronym, act fast. Additional symptoms of stroke may include vision problems in one or both eyes, overall fatigue, trouble walking. Now, these symptoms of stroke overlap with several other conditions and diseases. I know that. However, every second counts when seeking treatment for a stroke because when deprived of oxygen, brain cells begin to die within minutes. That's not very long. But if caught in time, there are clot-busting drugs that can curb the brain damage, but they must be given within three hours, approximately three hours, of when the symptoms start. Once the brain tissue has died, the parts controlled by that area won't work right. Remember the term fast, and T is for time is of essence. So, what are the major risk factors we can control to avoid having a stroke? Major hint, they are identical to those of having a heart attack. The three most important are, guess what, diet, smoking, and blood pressure control. Although, I always include stress. High blood pressure or tension is the leading cause of stroke. 
and the most significant controllable risk factor, high blood pressure. In fact, 8 out of every 10 people having their first stroke have high blood pressure. The good news is that high blood pressure is mostly controlled by lifestyle. So that means most stroke can be prevented by lifestyle. Next is smoking. Pardon the pun. It's a no-brainer. Poor diet. That was pretty good. Thanks, Rob. You're welcome. (laughs) Poor diet. Of course, the standard American diet is bad for us and increases our risk of having a stroke. Remember, poor diet is responsible for more deaths globally than tobacco, high blood pressure, or any other health risk factor. And part of that is because it contributes to all those risk factors, including high blood pressure. Other important factors include having diabetes, which, if you do have diabetes, doubles your risk of getting a stroke. And if you have a stroke, diabetes doubles your risk of dying from a stroke. Atrial fibrillation. I mentioned that before, and it is a big risk factor if you actually have it because AFib, atrial fibrillation, which is a heart rhythm disorder, increases stroke by five-fold, five times. That's because it causes the heart's upper chambers to beat incorrectly, which allows the blood to pool and develop a clot, and that clot can travel to the brain and cause a stroke. Physical and inactivity also increases your risk of stroke. Obesity, once more, plays a role. Excess body weight is linked with an increased risk of high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, and stroke. Losing as little as 7 to 10 pounds. That's, that's the key. That's, that's the good news. Losing as little as 7 to 10 pounds can make a significant difference in your risks. High blood pressure. Um, excuse me. We just did that. High blood cholesterol. Large amounts of cholesterol in the blood can build up and cause clots leading to a stroke. And I will talk a little bit more about that very briefly. Very soon. Yes. Carotid artery disease. The carotid arteries in your neck supply blood to your brain. So a carotid artery narrowed by fatty deposits can result in a blood clot causing an ischemic stroke. Air pollution. Increases risk of heart disease, stroke, cancer, and of course lung disease. Now, did you notice that by far most of these risk factors are related to lifestyle? However, most people, even doctors, often, I should say maybe especially doctors, often underestimate the importance of lifestyle in preventing stroke as well as for stroke recovery. In the United States Health Professional Study and Nurses Health Study, it was found that among almost 44,000 men and over 71,000 women, unhealthy behaviors accounted for more than half of stroke risk. In this study, the healthy behaviors were defined as not smoking, a moderate consumption of alcohol, maintaining a healthy weight, which was defined as a body mass index of less than 25, 30 minutes of daily exercise, and a healthy diet. Now, this is the takeaway. Those who followed all five 
healthy lifestyle choices had an 80% reduction of stroke. Diet is considered the worst of the risk issues according to the 2015 heart disease and stroke statistics. So what kind of diet do I, along with the majority of cardiovascular health experts, recommend? That would be a whole food plant-based diet. Let's take the Mediterranean diet as one example. The Mediterranean diet, a healthy Mediterranean diet, emphasizes beneficial fat such as olive oil and not animal fat, which is considered to be detrimental. It also emphasizes whole grains, fruits, and vegetables. It is low in dairy products, and it contains much less animal flesh. In the lion diet, health study, heart study, that's actually the name of the study, lion diet, heart study. Survivors of myocardial infarction, that means people who survived from having a heart attack. They were recruited to compare the use of a Mediterranean diet to a prudent Western diet that was lower in fat than the usual diet, and the purpose was to see which one would be better in preventing a secondary cardiovascular disease event. The Mediterranean diet was associated with a 70% reduction of stroke and myocardial infarction, a heart attack, in four years. Now, that was more than twice the effect of the statin, zymphostatin, commonly known as Zocar, that was used in the study also conducted in survivors of myocardial infarction. Now, this is extremely significant because this is, this is to prevent a secondary event. Now, these people are at the highest risk. They've already had a heart attack or a stroke, and we're trying to prevent a secondary one from occurring. So they are at the greatest risk of all, and the Mediterranean diet was associated with a 70% reduction of stroke and myocardial infarction in just four years. Now, more recently, researcher Chen reported from a meta-analysis that the Mediterranean diet was associated with a reduction of both first-time ischemic stroke and hemorrhagic stroke among high-risk individuals. So, this is for those who never had a stroke before. And it was shown to be very effective. Bottom line, it's likely prudent to expect that a Mediterranean diet, high in olive oil, whole grains, fruits, vegetables, and legumes, and low in cholesterol and saturated fat, can reduce stroke by at least 40% in the more high-risk patients. Now it's time to talk about cholesterol as a risk factor. That is a common subject that I am asked about. Some of you want to know if you can come off your statin medication. And my answer is this. Only the doctor who prescribed it to you can take you off of it. Some want to know if they should begin a statin to prevent a stroke. And we're going to get to that very shortly. Yeah, we are going to get to that very shortly. You know, the amazing thing, it really does come down to lifestyle to all of this stuff. So if you can do the preventative stuff by just eating that, you know, right diet, getting some exercise and, you know, getting good chiropractic health, you you can really go a long way in, in taking care of yourself and preventing these things from happening. Right, Doc? Absolutely. It depends on your childhood and how you were raised and the food that you ate in the past because it's all cumulative. It also depends a little bit on your genetics 
And I always recommend, um, usually there's some key supplements that are necessary and some additional lifestyle changes that you have to make because you're at risk. And they can help you with all of that. 412-922-WELL, 412-922-9355. Get well naturally. The Wider Wellness Center program continues in minutes. It's time to... All right, let's get back to Dr. Joseph Hahnemann. Doc? We left off talking about you know, the topic of uh, taking a statin to prevent a stroke. So, some people come and they want to know if they should begin a statin, you know, if they're considered to be at high risk, but they don't have any symptoms or history of a prior stroke. And to me, this is not a black or white decision. First of all, it depends on the amount of LDL cholesterol and the particle number, as well as if it is oxidized cholesterol. Without knowing those numbers, we're only getting a limited part of the total picture. However, this I can tell you. In general, it is not considered to be controversial that those with the greatest risk, the most advanced heart disease, and the highest cholesterol levels benefit the most from statins. The main reason is that the statins are supposed to decrease the cholesterol content of the plaque inside the artery as well as stabilize existing plaque. So it's not that it's going to prevent your body from making cholesterol. That's not why it's given for those who are at high risk of stroke. It's given because it's supposed to decrease the cholesterol that makes up part of the plaque that's already in your artery, and it's also supposed supposed to stabilize that plaque as well so that it doesn't break off and become a clot. For those at immediate risk for stroke, it seems kind of reasonable to add statins to the treatment plan, but keep in mind... Side effects can be many, and it is important to note that even those with substantial risk, the benefits of statins are limited, and the very substantial benefits of an improved lifestyle and a quality whole food plant-based diet are almost always ignored in favor of the limited benefits of drugs. Why is that? Well, because there are many statistical methods that are being used to tout the benefits of statins. However, I like to look at the actual numbers. The numbers don't lie. So let's look at the numbers needed to treat to prevent a stroke for someone without known heart disease or previous stroke. In other words, how many people do we have to give a statin to before we're going to see one person helped? In summary, for those who took a statin for five years, compared to those who did not take a statin, no lives were saved. And only one person in 154 were helped in preventing stroke, which also means that it did not help the other 153. In addition, quite a few people were harmed out of that 153. So... Remember, this is those who took a statin to prevent a stroke without known heart disease or previous stroke. And guess where most of the statins are going to? Those people. All right, so in the latest meta-analysis, and this is very interesting, because, see, this was just published in the British Medical Journal on October the 16th. 
that's what, a couple weeks ago? It was reported that the proportion of patients eligible for statins increased from approximately 8% in 1987 to 61% in 2016. So now 61% of the people are eligible for statins. It was 8% in 1987. By 2016, statins were often being prescribed for low-risk patients with a number needed to treat a 400. You would have to treat 400 people for one person to get a benefit. The other 399 are being subjected to a much higher risk of being harmed by a side effect with no benefit. So if you are at relatively low risk and your doctor wants you on a statin, my advice, think twice. Now, for statins given for five years to those with known heart disease, one in 125 were helped in preventing the stroke compared to not taking a statin. However, in all fairness, one in 39 were helped in preventing a non-fatal heart attack, and one in 83 lives were saved. So, in its favor, there is a benefit to taking a statin for those at very high risk of stroke or cardiovascular disease. But, it's still wise to get the whole picture before you make a decision. Personally, I would want to know how much cholesterol is too much, according to the person who wants to give me a statin. And what is my cholesterol particle count as well? And how much of that cholesterol is oxidized? That requires separate testing. And how reliable is the method used by the medical profession to, de- to determine that the use of statins for you as an individual with your particular history and your cholesterol numbers is warranted? I know they use a formula, but it is definitely not a matter-of-fact decision to me. In addition, could there be better results from improving lifestyle choices compared to the benefit of a statin? And what about considering the possibility of doing both a statin and a healthy lifestyle and then getting off the statin when the risk decreases? It is not a cut and dry decision in my opinion. I hope I have provided some good food for thought as only you can make the final decision. So, what are my recommendations for stroke recovery and prevention? What can you do right now for recovery? Say you've had a stroke. Of course, professional therapy to help with motor function and speech is often essential. And diet plays a key role in both prevention and recovery. And guess what kind of diet that is? So, so Rob's now saying to me, whole food plant-based diet. He's, I'm sure he gets tired of hearing it. No, I don't. Good. No, I don't. Okay. Uh, and the Mediterranean diet is just one example. A whole food plant-based diet is your very best choice for preventing or recovering from a stroke. Now, keep in mind, when I speak of a whole food plant-based diet, I'm talking about whole foods that should mostly be organic and not GMO crops that are loaded with pesticides and fungicides and are made worse through processing along with the adding of artificial chemicals used to color, soften, preserve, flavor, etc. Basically, making a mess 
out of once uh, out of what was once a healthy food. So it's important to understand that while a whole food plant-based diet is your best choice, not all plant-based diets are healthy. And that is a source of confusion in studies that include these unhealthy choices and don't get good results and say, oh, no, you know, a whole plant-based diet doesn't work. They're not using the right kind. So the key takeaway is we want to increase the intake of fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and whole grains and minimize or avoid the intake of meat and processed foods. A whole food plant-based diet is associated with a decreased prevalence of obesity, hypertension, diabetes, all risk factors, and stroke. In addition, this dietary pattern has been shown to have the ability to halt or reverse atherosclerosis, a major cause of both heart disease and stroke. Now, although all whole plant foods can contribute to heart disease reversal, and I could go over many individual ones that are truly excellent to prevent heart disease and stroke, I'm going to give a shout out to garlic today. The ability of aged garlic to lower blood pressure, cholesterol, blood clotting, and its ability to halt uh, heart disease progression has been recognized for a long time. For example, in a study published in early 2016, aged garlic reduced areas of plaque in heart arteries in just a one-year follow-up period. So there you go, aged garlic. All right, let's take our final break. We'll come back and have one more segment with Dr. Hahnemann. Remember, 412-922-WELL, 412-922-9355. Call today and make an appointment with Dr. Joseph Hahnemann. It's time to get well naturally with natural health experts, Dr. Joseph Hahnemann, Dr. Gideon Orbach, and Jeffrey Nisnik. Dr. Hahnemann is back, and we are talking stroke with the way people are living in lifestyles and childhood obesity growing at an all-time high, is this going to become almost a day-to-day occurrence in our headlines or affect somebody that we know unless we do something to change that trend as soon as possible, Doc? You know, the, the sad part is, is I don't think it's decreasing. Look, we're saving lives, but we're not actually uh, decreasing the incidence of it occurring for the most part. Now, people are getting a little smarter, and their diet is improving very minimally. And even just at that very small improvement level, things are getting a little bit better. Now, remember, a person has a stroke every 40 seconds, or every four minutes. Every four minutes, a person has a stroke. It's the second leading cause of death in the world, and it's the number one cause of serious disability in the United States. Number one cause of disability. And then you just mentioned healthy weight and obesity is definitely an established risk factor for stroke occurrence and mortality. So, you know, the fact that it helps decrease your risk of stroke is just another good reason to try to maintain a healthy weight. Is that difficult to do once you arrive at that target weight? Well, if you if you've arrived at your target weight, you're doing good. I yeah. mean, the problem is getting to your target weight. Once you and, and I want to point out, Rob, we're talking about body composition. Yeah. You know, we, we want to make sure that, you know, when you hit that target weight, if at all possible, we're talking about muscle for the most part. Right. Or at least not fat. So, cause you could be skinny and have excess fat. And that's not helpful. No. At all. In fact, if you're a woman, 
maybe you have an increased risk for osteoporosis. So you, it could be even worse being skinny, <clears throat> filled with fat, and uh, now your bones are, are, are playing a, a part in your discomfort. And we'll talk about weight. In the, you know we'll do a whole talk about weight soon. Right now, I also want to mention not just weight, but people need to sleep. <laughs> right? right. That, really, most people underestimate the importance of sleep. Good sleep. We heal when we sleep. So what's the sweet spot? The sweet spot's about seven to eight hours of sleep. You get less than that, it's a problem. If you get more than that, it can be a problem. But certainly less than that, oh. it's, it's going to affect your ability to focus. It's going to decrease your ability to heal. Your thought process. It increases your risk of stroke. Not good. All right. Physical inactivity. Now, you've heard all of these things before, but maybe if we say them over and over and over again, you'll get a little inspiration. If I can inspire just a few of you out there, it will make my day. So, of course... Physical inactivity is a risk factor for stroke. So basically, get off your butt and do something. And it can help to prevent a first time or a recurring stroke. I also want to mention the connection between antioxidants and stroke prevention. You hear me talk about antioxidants a lot. And Swedish researchers followed more than 30,000 older women over a period of a dozen years and found that those who ate the most antioxidant-rich foods had the lowest stroke risk. So guess what kind of diet they ought to be eating, or they were eating? A whole food plant-based diet, because keep in mind, on average, plant foods contain 64 times more antioxidants than animal foods. 64 times more on average. The food category that averages the most antioxidants. Guess what that is? The most antioxidants. Herbs and spices. Yeah. For example, just adding a half a teaspoon to your bowl of oatmeal in the morning could bring that the antioxidant power of your meal from 20 units to 120 units. That's like six times as much. It's got to be a lot. Yeah, that's pretty good. Salt intake, of course should be limited to 2 to 3 grams a day, and most likely it should be no more than 1,500 milligrams per day, especially if you're at risk for stroke. You know, if you have high blood pressure, of course, 1,500 milligrams, that's your goal. Potassium. Every cell in your body requires potassium to function, and you need to get it from your diet. The more potassium you eat, the more sodium you lose through your urine, helping to decrease blood pressure, which is, of course, the major, major risk factor for stroke. And potassium also helps to ease tension in your blood vessel walls, which helps to further lower blood pressure. A review of the best studies on the relationship between potassium and our top two killers, heart disease and stroke, determined that increasing your potassium intake was associated with a substantial decreased risk reduction in stroke. Now, we'll get into some supplements that I think are critical. Okay, now, for more complete, detailed uh, explanation of what you can do to prevent stroke, either a first-time or a secondary, make an appointment to see me. But in the meantime, remember, B12 folate is very important to lower something called homocysteine and reduce the risk of stroke. 
but we should be reducing, we should be using something called methylcobalamin. And of course, that's the type that we use in our supplements instead of cyanocobalamin. B12 deficiency is common. It's often missed. It's often found in diabetics, especially type 1 diabetics, and those taking proton pump inhibitors because the inhibitors reduce stomach acid, which is essential for proper B12 absorption. Magnesium. How many times have you heard everyone, all health practitioners, tell you that magnesium is something you ought to be taking? Many studies have confirmed that high magnesium intake is associated with a lower risk of major cardiovascular events, including stroke. Now, the last strategy I will mention to help prevent stroke is supplementing with something called natokinase. Natokinase is an effective blood clot dissolving protein used for the treatment of cardiovascular disease and the prevention of stroke. Recent research has demonstrated that natokinase has potent fibrinolytic activity. What does that mean? It means it breaks down fibrinogen, which is a risk factor for heart disease and stroke. It's antihypertensive, it's antiatherosclerotic, and antiplatelet and neuroprotective in its effects. The one uh, uh, thing that you should be aware of that's very important is that you're not to take it with a blood thinner. So don't take natokinase with a blood thinner. I personally think that if you're getting your blood monitored in terms of you know how thick or thin it is, then you probably could take it. And uh, if you're taking a blood thinner, you could in effect, reduce the the uh, the drug that you're taking. But you would have to be monitored closely for that to happen. So, what were the vitamins that I, I mentioned? B12 folate, multi-B vitamin, magnesium, and natokinase all can help prevent a first or a recurrent stroke. So, call our center. 412-922-9355. That's the Weiner Wellness Center at 412-922-9355 for a more complete assessment of your, uh, and for a, a more detailed and complete assessment of your individual needs. Make an appointment with me. I would be happy to help you. It's the same number, 412-922-9355, and our office visits are very, very reasonable. So, we have a little time, so I want to talk a, bit, a little bit about what a GMO is, because you always hear me talk about a GMO, what that is. So, with a GMO crop, the DNA has been modified using genetic engineering methods. Right? Genetic engineering methods. Seeds Labeled GMO, again, that's an acronym for Genetically Modified Organism, are bred not in a garden. Right? So it's not like we take two different plants and we take the pollen we, and we uh, uh, pollinate the, the flower and, and we get a, 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 a something in between the two plants that we were uh, 
that we were genetically altering out in the garden or out on the farm. That's not what we're doing. These are genetically modified in a laboratory using modern biotechnology techniques like gene splicing. The vast majority of genetically modified organisms grown in the United States are engineered to produce their own pesticides to survive direct application or to survive a direct application of pesticides. So that means that plant has pesticides bred right into its into into what it is. You can't avoid getting those pesticides. Monsanto, you might have heard of them recently. Monsanto's Roundup Ready crops are, engin- are engineered to survive direct applications of uh, glyphosate. That was the primary ingredient in Roundup. So that gives you an idea of you know of the uh, potential damage that GMO crops can do. Although you're going to hear that they're absolutely perfectly safe and they're like saving lives all over the country because they're pest because they're insect uh, resistant or fungicide resistant. There's definitely a downside to it, and I avoid them uh, whenever I can. So stick with a whole food, plant-based diet, as organic as possible, and keep in mind that on average, plant foods contain over 64 times more antioxidants than animal foods. The food category that averages the most, do you remember what that is now? Herbs and spices. Stay active. Get some sleep. Maintain a healthy weight. And if you do that and you don't smoke, you do all of those healthy lifestyles, you can prevent stroke. I believe the actual statistics are by 80%. 80%. I believe it's over than 80%. What do you tell people when they ask, well, how much sleep should I get? Seven to eight hours. Bottom line. Well, yeah, of course, there's going to be some days you're going to get six and a half. Wait, hey, when I'm sick, I'm going for nine. It, it can't hurt you. I think, especially when you're sli- when you're when you're when you're sick or you're recovering for something, I think nine hours is is fine. Even ten hours if you need it. However, on a daily basis, what they're saying is you want it between that seven and eight hours. Nine hours or more has actually been shown to be detrimental. So get your sleep, but don't go over nine hours, (laughs) unless you have to. Doc, always a pleasure. Folks, you can get more of this. You can get information. You can get treatment. You can get literally educated about your body, holistically, natural medicine, of course. Weiner Wellness Center, one of the best, highly educated and on point when it comes to you taking good care of yourself over the long haul. He is Dr. Joseph Hahnemann. You can call now. Make an appointment. If you like what you heard, make an appointment, 412-922-WELL. Here's that number again, 412-922-WELL. So get on the phone, make the call, 9355, that's 412-922-9355, and make an appointment with Dr. Joseph Hahnemann. Doc, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Pleasure. All right, stay with us. Hey, John McIntyre coming up after the news at 2. Enjoy the rest of your day. Back at it tomorrow morning, 5 a.m., Rob Pratt Sunday. Good afternoon. This program has been paid for by the Weiner Wellness Clinic. 
The views expressed in this program are not necessarily those of KDKA or its parent companies. The information in this program is for general informational purposes only. Listeners are encouraged to consult with their health provider regarding their specific medical issues. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.